Let me pray, and uh, we will go to God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity to come and worship you. Um, Lord, I, I thank you for people who have gathered here this morning, um, people who are on live stream, and Lord, we pray, um, we pray for this time. We pray um, as we've worshiped and as we open your word that you would teach us, that you would give us the rich treasures that are found in your word, as well as the rich treasures that are found in your son Jesus. And so, Lord, um, go before us, open our hearts to the spirit of God to do a work in our hearts this morning as we open the word and learn um, from this word that you give us, what a gracious God you are, that we can live our lives in view of who you are and what you've revealed to us. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the greatest joys in our life was having children. I remember when my firstborn was born uh, back 13 years ago, and I remember seeing him and looking at my wife and crying and in worship, praising God for the life of this little one. And as the weeks went on, it was like, I can't imagine, you know, this feeling, I can't imagine my life without my children, without my child. And, you know, as a dad, I don't know if this is true for you, but you begin to think like this. You begin to think, like, I would run in front of a bus to save my child if I needed to. I would do whatever I needed to do to protect my child and care for my child. Fast forward about a year, okay? Our oldest is in a high chair. Here's the scene. He's in a high chair eating at the table. And I was called to go to the garage and get food and drinks. And um, I don't know about you, men, but when I do that, I want to make one trip. One trip only. I'm going to get it all. So I had my hands full, went to the garage, got food, got drinks. I had a few Dr. Peppers on top. And I'm coming back into the house in our breakfast nook there where our table was. And you know those moments in your life where it's just slow motion, where you see something happening and it's just in slow motion and I feel this Dr. Pepper just kind of rolling down and I'm trying to catch it, but it goes off and it's just slow-mo, end over end over end. And I remember just saying, please Lord, don't let it. And it hits the ground and it's like this geyser going off in our nook, in our breakfast nook and it comes up and William is right in front of this thing. And it's all over him, it's all over the table, it's all over the ceiling. I mean, it's a geyser everywhere. It's all over our pantry, it's all over our refrigerator. And like the protective, loving, caring father, I ran back to the garage (laughs) to leave my wife on the other side of the table getting William out of his chair moving him, getting in the line of fire of Dr. Pepper, which I think he was licking and enjoying for the first time, I took tail and ran. You know, when you're a preacher, when you ask your wife if you can share a family sermon illustration, I've never had a yes that fast. Never had a yes that fast. But that was a crazy situation. And the crazy thing was it took hours and hours to clean up. And a couple... Over the course of the next couple of years, even until we moved out of that house, we would find spots, like there would be brown spots and nooks and crannies that we would find from that Dr. Pepper. It lingered. Same event, two responses with two different people. Listen, on a serious note, when when unforeseen troubles that explode onto the scene of your life linger there, for long periods of time, and there's collateral damage in your life, how do you respond? I'm not talking about Dr. Pepper. I'm talking about the loss 
of something. I'm talking about people deceiving you. I'm talking about being harmed or oppressed. I'm talking about divorce. I'm talking about when explosions in life happen. And challenges in life happen. And they continue to linger and linger and linger. COVID-19. Life. How do you respond? How do you respond in those moments? Do you run? Do you hide? Do you dive in? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Do your hearts grow faint? And if you're honest, the truth is, even as a believer in Christ, you probably experience all of those things at different points in the troubles that come upon your life and my life. Last week, James spoke to us in James chapter 5. He spoke to us about a greedy, wealthy, unbelieving landowners of the day around Jerusalem, a couple of which were likely in the early church and his church, James's church, but also the way in which they hoarded riches and they took riches for themselves and then they cheated people, at the laborers out of their labor, the people who went to the fields every day and served where they wouldn't pay them at the end of the day so that they could come home and take care of their family and feed their family. They cheated people. They lived lavishly. And then the text even says in verse 6, 5 and 6, the text even says that they harmed these people, these laborers who had no help. They harmed them and oppressed them in the courts. And so today, what we're going to see is a follow-up from that. Because if you are reading this, if James was reading this in his church, I can promise you most of the church in his day, when he read last week's text, about how those wealthy, unbelieving landowners who were oppressing people were going to be judged, I guarantee you the church was saying, Amen, James. Amen. Go get them. And then you see a turn here in this text. And he's going to talk to us about the response. What is the right response to trouble? How do we respond to trouble? How did the first century, what were they called to respond in? Listen, they were living in a way rougher culture than you or I were living in. And here's how... The answer, the beginning of the answer this week, the end of the answer next week about how we should respond in times of trouble, in times of oppression, of times where we're cheated, in times where life is not right, in times where life explodes and it lingers there for long periods of time. So turn with me to James chapter 5 and we'll be in verses 7 through 12. And I got to tell you, there are some rich, rich truths that you can apply to your life today related to the troubles that come upon you or even the troubles that happen in your life. And James is going to say it this way, trust in the Lord in your times of trouble. That's what we're going to talk about. Trust in the Lord in times of trouble. Let me read it and hang with me and uh, we will unpack some glorious truths to live by. James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient. Here's his response to oppression, being treated wrong, trouble. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. 
Verse 12, but above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, and let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. If you're scanning this passage, you see four commands. You see the first command to be patient, and then the second command to establish your hearts or literally strengthen your hearts. Those are the positive commands. And then you see two negative commands, if I can say it that way. Don't grumble and complain, right? And don't swear, and I'll unpack what that means. So four commands, three examples. Here's your first point. Rich truths from God's Word in times of trouble. First point is this. When trouble comes your way, keep your cool by resting in your future hope. This is what we see in verses 7 through 9. I want you to look back at verses 7 through 9 with me. And here's what's going on. The motivation, here's James, here's how he frames it. The motivation or the means by which you can make it through trouble in this life. The motivation and means, the perspective you need to have is Jesus is coming. He's coming. You see it three times in each of these verses. 7, the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse 9, he stands at the door. He st- he stand, the judge is standing at the door. And why would James use this? Why would he talk about the coming of the Lord? And I think there's two reasons. When you think about the coming of the Lord and you're sitting in a situation where you want to get revenge on someone because they have wronged you and they've oppressed you, they've cheated you, what do you want to do? You want to get revenge You want to get revenge on them. You go Old Testament, an eye for an eye, don't you? And here's what happens in the end. In the end, God takes care of it, doesn't he? Jesus comes back. That's our hope, that God comes back and vengeance is his. It's not ours. And that's really hard sometimes, isn't it? That's our struggle. But that's one thing that happens at the coming of the Lord. God makes all of those things right, the wrongs right. And the second thing is this is our future hope. So we long for a day, we know the end. If you've ever seen a movie and you watch it again or a football game that somebody tells you the score of, you know what happens. And there's a glorious ending because you know what happens in the end. God makes all things right. All those troubles, all those things in life, the trials in life that come upon you that you want vengeance for, one day God is going to make it right. And that's, I think, why James is giving them this. But look at the particulars here. Let's look kind of at a small brush and look at it. Be patient. Literally, the word patient means to have a long fuse. To have a long fuse. Anybody got a short fuse or a long fuse? And you might say, well, it depends on the situation. A long fuse. Have a long fuse. Therefore, the word therefore, if you're seeing it, you're reading the Bible and you're seeing therefore, kids in school, you got to look back, right? you got to look back at the previous text. And what we find in the previous text is the greedy landowner who's oppressing, Right? Therefore, be patient. In view of that, be patient today. Brothers, in the last text, James talks about somebody out, mostly outside of the church and the wealthy landowner. Now he's saying he's readdressing the people in the church, the believers in the church, brothers. He says it a number of times here. Until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives an example. Do you see the example? Of patience. Of having a long fuse and this would be an example in the first century that they, these are laborers mostly, so they're out in the field, so he's given an illustration, an example of something they would very much understand. He gives the example of the patient farmer. I come from a family that are farmers and ranchers. 
Being patient does not mean being passive. If you know any farmers or any ranchers, they're not farmers or ranchers very long if they're lazy, if they're passive. I want you to think about all the work that goes into tilling the soil, caring for the soil, planting the crops, all the way through. You work really hard. I remember my dad in the backyard in the middle of summer and kind of the cusp of West Texas and there's no clouds in the sky. And he would always say, Lord, bring the rain. At the dinner table every night, every morning, bring rain. As hard as he worked, he could not produce what only God could produce, the harvest. The rains bring the harvest. And this is what James is saying to them. Consider the farmer. Consider the farmer and what he does. But at the end of the day, you see in that text the early rains and the late rains there. See, the early rains come in the autumn, in the, in the fall, after the crops have been planted. So there's this early rain to help the crops grow. And then there's a late rain in the spring, right before the harvest comes. And there's a lot of patience in between. And there's a lot of work in between. So he gives an example of patient endurance that they would know and see in first century. Consider the patient farmer. You know in other places in Scripture, you see the patient farmer here, you see the hardworking farmer in 2 Timothy. So Paul uses that in discipleship and says, it's the hardworking farmer who gets the payoff. So be patient. Have a long fuse like the farmer. Patiently endure trouble. I don't really like that. I don't really like that message. I don't want to patiently endure hardship that has come upon me. But this is the message of James. I would think in that day there was probably silence. They were amens in the last passage and there's probably silence at that point as he read this text. The coming of the Lord. Then you see it again. There's, there's the second thing you see in here too. Establish your hearts. Be patient, verse 8. Establish your hearts. Literally strengthen your hearts. And maybe some of you like me, when I read those words, strengthen your hearts, think... Well, that's God's work. God is going to supply me through His Spirit the ability to have my heart strengthened. And surely God is our supply. He's the one that provides strength for us. But there's a number of places in the Scripture where you, where you see where man's volition and our choices come into play. If you just searched in a concordance and you looked up, strengthen your hearts or encourage your hearts, you'd find, a couple, you'd find many things. In the Old Testament, you would find this. To the afflicted, to the oppressed... The strength that you have in your hearts is to see, in Psalm 10, to see God move in injustice. And so surely there is not passivity here when awful things happen in our lives. You can call on God. David does it all the time in the Psalms. Call on God to intervene in injustice. But there's two other things in the New Testament. First Timothy, or excuse me, First, First Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 and 11 and 13. I think we have that in the back. So for the Thessalonian church, remember the Thessalonian church? They're, they're wondering about when Jesus was going to come back. And here's, Paul, here's Paul's words to him. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Verse 11. Can you move that up for me? That's too small. <laughs> Thank you. Now may the God of our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that you may establish, same word, same idea, your hearts. 
blameless in holiness before God and the Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the same, same kind of context. Here's what he's saying. We need one another. You need the leaders in the church. You need one another to establish your hearts and be strengthened in your hearts. Listen, C3, it's, it's a delight to see people coming back to church. One of the most difficult things in the middle of COVID is to go, okay, you know, I want to be wise. We want to be wise leaders in a church. We want to lead you well. We want to shepherd you well. And, and maybe that means staying at home and following what the government has said. And then you come to like a Hebrews 10. And it says, and it says don't forsake your assembly together. It's a really difficult time to know what to do with these different things. And surely, if you're in a place where you're immunocompromised and, or you could be or there are people around you that are, it may be the wise decision for you to stay at home. But the longer, I'll, I'll just tell you, the longer we've been in this as your shepherd, not as a guy who wants more people on Sunday or serve teams to be set up, but as your pastor and as your shepherd, your spiritual health is incredibly important. It's just as important as your physical health. And there are wise decisions to make. Stay home, come. But there are wise decisions to make. And you would say, well, you know, I need to go to HEB. And I'll put on a mask for an hour and go to HEB and get my groceries. Because those are physical needs that I have to have. And I think God's word would also say that our spiritual needs are vital to who we are as Christians. And so pray for us as leaders as we consider that. There may be some of you that need to consider coming back. Consider that in the next few weeks to go, am I doing this out of fear or am I doing this, rightfully so, out of wisdom because my health is bad or my grandmother's health is bad and I see her every day. So as your shepherd, I would encourage you to consider the need that you have. I don't know about you, but I felt the need for community in this time when I didn't have it. And so the gathering of the body is important. We might not cross our T's and dot our I's the same way as another church next to us. And they might not do it the same way as us. Um, there is freedom in that. There's freedom in this situation. But as your pastor, my biggest prayer right now is that your spiritual health, that Jesus would be your bread of life, that he will be your living water. And we need one another for that to happen. So consider that as we move forward. There's another text that talks about strengthening our hearts, and it's, it's really around the Word of God. Luke chapter 8 talks about the, you know, the parable of the soils. We get to the parable of the soils, and we see the seed is the Word of God. And the seed is tossed out on the path, and the devil takes it up, and then it's thrown out on the rock, and you hear, people hear the Word of God with joy, but it takes no root. And you see the thorns, the, the seed that is sown in the thorny ground, and it's choked out by the cares and pleasures and riches of life. See also last text. And then you see the good soil. And you know what it says about the good soil? That you hear the word, you hold fast to the word, there's endurance. You bear fruit with what? You bear fruit, the word of God, in your life with patience. With patience. We need patience. God's not going to fix the problems necessarily in our lives when we want it, how we want it. But maybe, just maybe, He's doing a work in that time. Let's be a patient people who keep our cool, who build inner strength through his word and through community. How long is your fuse? When you're wronged, when unexpected things happen, when trouble happens, are you strengthening your heart 
by the word of God and community? Or are you, as this text say, grumbling and complaining? And I said it before and I'll say it again. When I considered this this week, I go, you know, there's just a mixture of that in my life, to be quite honest with you. When stuff happens, I grumble and I complain. And then I go to God and say, help me. I grumble, I complain. I go to God and say, help me. Help me be patient. Help me strengthen the inner man by your word. And help, let me be open for other people to help me in that, in community. There's a story as we think about the imminent return of Christ, that Christ could return at any time. This is the implication that the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's a story um, about a man or a fable about a man who was in the Alps and he was tracking through and hiking through the Alps. And he came around a bend to a, in a lonely stretch where there were no people, no homes, and he sees this little cottage in this glorious garden, this massive garden. And he comes up to the door and he meets the man that was in the cottage who was a, a worker. And he begins to talk to this man. And he said, all my life I've tended this garden. And it belongs to the king. And so the passerby who's walking through, who's amazed at this garden, he said, well, where's, has the, I, I guess the king visits regularly because this place is immaculate. And the man said, no, the king has never come. He's never come yet. And the passerby says, well, why would you keep this up if he's never, ever come? He's the king. I mean, he has so many other things to do. Why would you keep this up? And he said, he smiled and he said, you don't understand. The king might come today. He might come today. Listen, this is like Jesus. Jesus could come back at any moment. How are we going to be found? With the patient building our strength through the inner man, this is how God wants to find us. So we look to the future and the coming of Christ, but James is going to say something else. He's going to say look at the past too because the past can help you. Look at it. Verse 10 and 11. When trouble comes your way, the second thing I'll tell you is this and from verses 10 and 11. Remember the perseverance of saints who have come before you. Remember the perseverance of saints who have come before you. In other words, you're not the only one who's ever been through this what he's trying to communicate to his church who's going through trouble so take courage see God and his character is compassionate and merciful and you see it all the way through the Old Testament you see him being compassionate and merciful to the prophet to Job the two examples that we have here God was compassionate and merciful to them and you can lean they leaned into the character of God you think about the prophets you know what the New Testament says about the prophets? It says that they were given as an example to you and to me of how to walk by faith and walk by perseverance and endurance. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. They were given as examples to you and to me for perseverance, for endurance. I just want to consider one prophet just for a second. Are you familiar with the prophet Jeremiah? Jeremiah wrote to the southern kingdom and they were into all kinds of idolatry. He also wrote Lamentations. Have you ever read Lamentations? There's not many long sermon series in Lamentations. It's pretty rough. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. If he would be a pastor today, he probably would lose his job because he never seemed to, there was never really any fruit to his ministry. There weren't converts. There weren't those metrics to say, hey, 10 people got saved, 15 people got baptized. There was no fruit in his ministry, it looks like. And it's a long book. 
And you can look long and hard, but there's very little fruit. The people he's ministering to, he's getting a message from God, and he's communicating what God says to the people. And I want you to listen to this. These are the ways in which the people reply to him. Let us make plots against him. They told him he would die. They cast him into cisterns. And over and over and over again, he would go to the people of Israel, the people of Judah, and they said, we're not listening. Over and over and over. He was the weeping prophet. See, the prophets were a people who were called by God, rejected, oppressed, spoke the truth, but continued to speak the truth. And like the prophets then, it's our job and our message today when there are things going on in our world to be passionate for the gospel, the message that we have. And I I just ask you, is that the message that you're putting forth to the world? Whether it's on social media or in the people's lives around you when trouble is all around us and in our lives. Is the message the message of the name of of the Lord. This is the message of the prophets. And then you got Job. You got 42 chapters in Job. The first chapter is Job's distress because he loses everything. Job doesn't know. Have you ever considered this? Job doesn't know what's going on in heaven. He doesn't know the conversation between God and Satan and why things are happening to him any more than you know why things are happening to you. First chapter is there's distress. He's lost everything. His wife says, curse God and die encouragement. Chapters 2 through 41. You ever heard the phrase, the patience of Job? Job wasn't patient. Job endured, but chapters 2 through 41 is the steadfastness of Job. He's asking God, why? What did I do? He's evaluating his own heart. He's trying to figure it out. He's got friends, uh, supposedly, that are trying to help him figure it out. But then you get to chapter 42. Look at chapter 42. I think we have it on the screen. In chapter 42, God speaks at the end of 41, and here's Job's response. Listen to Job's response. I have heard of you. This is after God says, where were you? I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Therefore, I despise myself. I've got to look at myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, you and I come to church, and we hear I listen to sermons and I hear. I read commentaries, I read books, and I hear. I sing worship songs. But you know when you see God the most in your life? It's not in the good times. It's in the trouble. It's in the hard times of life where you see God the way Job saw God in ways you never did. We spend our time grumbling and complaining, not patient, but the beauty of ashes in your life and in my life is that you see God, and this is what he's saying. I've heard about you, I know about you, I sing Kumbaya, went to Bible Bowl, Awanas, come to church, but now I see. I see through the trouble and the pain of life who you are that you are a merciful and compassionate God who loves me and cares for me and will walk with me through the trouble. Got a picture of endurance I want to show you. I think we've got it. Picture of endurance. There's a tree. 
Got that in the back? Hey, sorry, it's not back there. It's back here. I try not to look back there. It's a picture of a tree. This is an 80-year-old elm tree in Oklahoma City. It's a tourist attraction. People pose there. Arborists protect this tree. As a matter of fact, last year they were even trying to clone the DNA of this tree to reproduce it. There's posters, there's letterheads. This tree is a treasure to those in Oklahoma City. Not because of the appearance of this elm tree, but because of her endurance. You see, in 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing happened right next to that tree at the Federal Building. And the tree was covered in rubble and ash and dust. Nobody gave this tree a chance. And that as time moved on, there were buds that came out of this little tree and began to grow again. And they call this tree, as many of you know, the survivor tree. And people come from all over. This is a symbol in Oklahoma City, especially for those people, that there is life after the rubble. And this is what God does in your life and my life. He takes your life from ashes and rubble and brings life. It's a great picture to consider. And you know what happens? People look at that. They look at that. You know what the Bible says? It says you are a light to the lost. Your trouble and walking through trouble, leaning into God, is a light to those around you, a witness to those around you. See, the prophets and Job are given for instruction and example of patient endurance. And that's just as true today as we look at Scripture and we look back. So in times of trouble and injustice, God wants the gospel to shine through. So we've seen future, we've seen past. There's one more command here. And I've got to unpack it a little bit. When trouble comes your way, last point, don't make promises you can't keep. Or don't write checks you can't cash on your own. And the example in this is giving oaths. And in the Bible, oaths are a really interesting, complicated thing. Effectively, here's what's happening. I think this is the connection. Some commentators look at verse 12, and they're not real helpful, and they say, we don't really think that it's connected to the other verses. We think John is just kind of doing this, or James is kind of doing this thing like Proverbs, where we just throw something in. But I don't think so. I think, what's, I think it is connected, and here's how. Here's what happens sometimes when trouble hits your life and trouble hits my life. We want a quick fix. Right? We want the rabbit foot answer. We say things like, God, if you take this away, I swear by X that I will do Y. Right? If you'll just take it away, I swear I will never do this again. And I will do that. That's likely what James is talking about in the lives of first century Christians that are poor and persecuted and they're going through this mess as laborers and they're trying for the quick fix. And James says, no, 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 no. When trouble hits, you don't need a quick fix. J Jesus talks about this again in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we've talked about the connection between Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And James is borrowing commentary from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what we see in this text. I think we've got Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Again, you've heard it said that those who of old, Old Testament, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So they're making oaths. But I say to you, 
Remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you say to this, I say this. Do not take an oath by, at all, either by heaven, because you ain't been there, for it's the throne of God, or by earth. You don't have control over it. You don't have power over it. For it's his footstool, not yours, or by Jerusalem. For it is the city of the great king. And do not make an oath by your head. And we got, don't make oath, this is funny. For you cannot make one hair white or black. He's talking about age. And we can't, we can't swear by our own head. We don't even have hair anymore. Sorry, that was an attempt. Let what you say be simply yes or no or anything more comes from evil. So in times of distress, don't make promises that you can't cash because you're not in control of outcomes. Remember plans? James is talking about plans. You don't, you don't have control over this. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no, simply. You know, you think of Peter. Good old Peter. Shoot, fire, aim, Peter. Jesus said, you're all going to deny me. He said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And after Jesus died on a cross, he runs away, and the lady says, this guy was with Jesus. And what does Peter do? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't bleep and know him. He even cussed. When you cuss in those moments and you swear in those moments, you're trying to add emphasis to something that is a lie. And that's what Peter did. He swore an oath. I won't, I won't, I won't. And he did, and he did, and he did. You know, the trouble comes our way. We want a f- quick fix. We want something medicated. We want something drowned out. I'm an, I had to do the Enneagram k- test when I came here. I didn't even know what that thing was. And I'm a, apparently I'm a seven, which means I want everybody to be happy. I want to be joyful. I want everybody around me to be joyful. But when it's trouble, I'm an eight, which means I'm grumbling, I'm complaining, I'm trying to fix things. So I want you to think about that in your own life. You think about how you respond to trouble. Do you want a quick fix to COVID? Clearly, we've been stuck in a situation where we can't fix this thing. And so are we willing to be patient? Are we willing to establish our hearts? Consider the end. Consider the saints who've gone before us to not make promises that we can't keep. You know, my old pastor used to say it this way about trouble. God can't use a person significantly until he breaks them deeply. And the longer I live, I was 25 when I heard that the first time, and I said, no. <laughs> and the longer I live, I think he's right. You know it's true in your life. When you think about times in your life that God has molded you the most, you guys could get up here and tell story and testimony after testimony about how God used this awful situation to produce this in you. And maybe you don't have all the answers to the whys, but there's good that comes from ashes. There's good that comes from trouble. And this is what James is saying to his people. So we want to let God do his work in the season and not shortchange the work he wants to do in adversity 101, and then 201, and then 301, and then 401. See, this, pa- this passage is about patient endurance in times of trouble. But I will tell you this, when I think about patient endurance, I certainly think this text, and I certainly think about Job, and I certainly think about Old Testament saints, and I certainly think about the coming of Christ in the future. But I think not only about saints, but I think about my Savior. I think about a different tree. 
cross of Calvary that He died on for my sins and your sins that I might have life, that the bud would begin to grow, that I might have forgiveness of sin. Hebrews, a couple, couple verses back, I don't think it's going to be up top. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of Jesus in this way. Chapter 12, you want to turn there with me just briefly. It says this, 1 through 3, about Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he talks in chapter 11 about all the saints. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance. Think about this text. The race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's what he did. For the joy that was set before him and the patience he endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who has endured for sinners like you and me such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen, in your troubles, this is your takeaway, in your troubles, look to Jesus. Look forward to Jesus' coming because it's a sure hope that you have. No matter what's happening on this earth, you have a sure hope in Him. Look to the saints. Look at each other. Look at the Old Testament saints. Look at the saints around you who go through trouble and the perseverance of the saints, but look to Jesus. In the end, look to Jesus. He has gone through trouble. He was put on a cross for you and for me. He patiently endured what he didn't have to for your sake and for my sake. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never heard that message, the good news of the gospel that Christ has died in your place. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. Before God, without Christ before God, you have no standing. And there's nothing in this life that is, whether you realize it or not, that is more troublesome in your life, more than COVID, more than your troubles, more than your heartaches, than being out of fellowship with God, without relationship with God, now that is deep trouble. Because you can't stand before a holy and righteous God on your own, with your church attendance, with your good works, with anything that you bring, only to the cross I cling. He's patiently endured and died on a cross for you. Consider that this morning. And if you know Him, your troubles, God is with you in your troubles. He doesn't make light of your troubles. As a matter of fact, the same book of Hebrews says what? It says He's a high priest. You know what the job of a priest is? To care for the people. He's a high priest who can sympathize with your weakness. He can sympathize with your troubles because He's been through them. So if your family is busted and you've lost someone close to you, he's there. He's been there. You know what often ha- times happens? Is that we run away from God in our trouble, thinking we're mad at God, and that's the very place where we will find most comfort and rest and satisfaction and care. So in our troubles, C3, let's look to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this good day. 
that you give us. We thank you for this passage of Scripture that gives us such rich application to our lives in times of trouble, times of testing, times we've been treated wrongly, times where our hearts are surely faint and weary. That you would call us to be patient, not just for patience' sake and to pull up our bootstraps and be patient because Jesus is going to take care of it. You can call us to look at other saints in the past to draw encouragement from who've gone before us. They've been through it before. And Lord, most of all, we have a Savior who sympathizes, who's gone to the depths for us that we might have life and forgiveness. So we look to Jesus in our troubles. And God's people said, Amen.